Good morning. Welcome home, family. It's good to see everyone here worshiping with us on this lovely winter day. We are going to finish our series going through the book of Galatians here in a minute. Uh, and just to know where we're going for the rest of the year, we'll be in Galatians today, finishing up with Galatians chapter 6. And so if you want to uh, flip to that in your Bible, you can do so. Um, and then for the next three weeks, we'll be uh, doing a little uh, Christmas series, preparing our hearts for Christmas. Uh, we'll be going in talking about how the Trinity is active in Christmas, how so often in Christmas we talk about the Son being born for us, but we're going to take a week for the Father and then the Holy Spirit. And then on Christmas Day, we'll be worshiping here at the same time, 10 a.m., and we'll be talking about the Son being given uh, for us, being born for us. And so... We usually we decide to not do the Christmas Eve service and continue our service like normal on Sunday. So hopefully you guys can be here worshiping with us, celebrating Christmas together with us on that day. But before we dive into the Word, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your love for us, for your revealing of who you are to us so that we can know you and have a relationship with you and respond to your grace and your love. Lord, I pray for this time as we sit under your word, that you bring the word to life in our hearts and our minds, that we can see what we need to see, that you can teach us what we need to be taught, that you can show us how we need to grow and respond to who you are, that we truly can be your people as we see and realize how you have saved us through Jesus Christ and what that means for our life. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Too often, I think we view life through kind of that individual lens. I think especially here in the West, in America, we're very individualistic, and so we view life through our own experience and how we do it, and, and we want to just kind of take care of ourselves, or we just kind of think about what matters for our own. And I think I'm almost like the perfect example of that. I don't really like to let people in that much. I had friends who used to call me an island when I was in in seminary because I'd never really let them what's going on holders and she was like why I'm like don't worry about it and it was because I was proposing to my now wife don't worry she knew I was going to propose but just like not the time and date that was secret because I don't let people in um, but you know it's, it's ironic to me that I can be like that because I preach the value of community I preach the need that we need to be in community I forced myself to have a small group at my house where we have to clean the house every other week and let people in. Why? Because I know it's important. I know that's how we're designed. That humanity was made for community. We were made to be together. And when it comes to the Christian faith, the Christian faith was designed and intended to be lived in community. That the Christian faith, yes, is personal. You make a decision and you follow Christ and you work to that, but that's lived in the context of a Christian community that loves you, supports you, encourages you as you do the same with them. When we look at the New Testament, we see this again and again, that the Christian life is made to be to, lived in community. Just think about the letters that Paul writes. Who, are he, who is he writing to? He's writing to communities, churches in regions, churches in cities. And when he writes to people, he's well. 
When you look at the New Testament, there's about 47 instructions given to Christians using that phrase, one another. That we have all these commands to one another. Love one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, and again and again, that cannot be lived out. Those commands cannot be lived out in isolation or on your own. It only can be lived out in community. So community is so important. I'm actually really proud to say that when people usually visit our church, one of the things they comment on is the sense of community, the sense of family. In fact, our, our youth minister, Dan uh, Eckhart, when he first visited our church, and I asked him, hey, what did you think afterwards? His response, well, well, it's certainly a family. And that's how he felt. You know, he didn't mention my preaching or anything like that, but that's okay. <laughs> that's usually how it goes. People feel the sense of community. They feel the sense that this is truly a family of the faith. That if you so wish, you can be known and you can know and grow together. So when we come to the book, the end of the book of Galatians, it's no wonder that Paul kind of is summing things up and he's talking about how we should live in community together. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry because it'll be on the screen behind us. I'm going to read the full chapter and then we'll see what we will see. Starts like this. Brothers, you can add brothers and sisters, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for whatever one sows, uh, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make good, a good showing in the flesh Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep them, who themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has, has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a, new circum but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. As I was reading and saying that passage, really what stood out to me was the simple principle is that a cross-centered life is a spirit-led life. Really, when I read this passage, obviously past, uh, uh, chapter 6 comes after what? Chapter 5. 
And chapter 5 was all about the fruits of the Spirit and how we walk by the Spirit. And now coming on this is talking about how we live and we boast only in the cross. And so he's kind of uh, um, putting the Christian life between these two things, that you're cross-centered and you're Spirit-led. And so a cross-centered life is a Spirit-led life. And we can define that, a cross-centered life, this idea that you are defined by the cross, that your identity has given me a new creation, I am new in Him, and that is who I am. That's a cross-centered life. You orient your whole life by the cross. It defines you. It also is a spirit-led life, that when you look about how you lead your life, how you walk your life, how you live your life, you look to the Spirit. He gets accused from the Spirit. The Spirit prompts you to put you into the Word so that you know how to respond to this life, how you to follow Christ. And so a cross-centered life is a spirit-led life. I believe that's what Paul is driving home at the end of this book to the Galatians that we need to be centered on the cross, grounded in the reality of who we are in Christ, and then we live out that reality by looking towards the Spirit as He guides and directs us on how we live for Christ. I get this kind of idea from this, this kind of um, statement he makes in verse 14. When he's summing up basically what I would say almost the letter when he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by the word by, by, uh, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That he boasts in one thing. He used an example as he's been using an example through the whole book that people are boasting in their flesh. They're boasting in what they do. They're boasting in how they follow the law. They're boasting in how good they are. They're boasting in how well they can obey. But he says, no, boast in the cross. Not in myself, how well I can obey. Not in myself, how good I am. But what do I boast? That God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And in that cross, the salvation for all of us has appeared. In that cross, we can be saved and made right with God. And so Paul says, I boast in the cross. His life is centered on that cross. Shouldn't surprise us if you've read Paul at all. We see this as again and again through his letters. I mean, you can think of 1 Corinthians 1.23 when he says that he's talking about his ministry. He says, we preach Christ crucified. That's what he does. He says, that's my job. I preach Christ and him crucified. I preach the cross because that is what I boast in. We can think about how he's writing to um, the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, he's talking about you don't boast in your own works. You don't boast in how well you can do this or that or follow God. What do you boast in? You boast in the fact that we're saved by grace through faith. Boast in the cross. This is not even new to Paul. When you think back through the prophets, you see them point to God and say, we boast in the fact that we know God. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Might let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord." that the way of a God follower, the way of someone who knows God is someone who does not boast in themselves, but looks to God and boasts in Him. And us as Christians, we look at God and we boast in the cross on how He saves us, in our own doing. This is the cross-centered 
life. That we don't look at ourselves, but we look to Christ for identity and meaning. Meaning. So interesting, in our world today, I would say people are looking for identity so hard. They want to be defined by something. They're looking for something to identify themselves by. And so often they look inside themselves or they look up to the sides of themselves. And all the while they should be looking above themselves and looking to God, the one who made them, the one who crafted them, the one who knit them together in their mother's room. They should be looking to him for how they should be identified. And he gives them identity that when you look towards me, you find yourself. Jesus said this again and again in just one instance in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my... If you go looking for identity, if you go looking for yourself on your own terms and define yourself by what you want, you'll lose your life. But when you lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, when you actually lay yourself down and look towards me to define you, you'll find True life, your life. It's a cross-centered life, looking to Christ and nowhere else. And as Paul says, we don't boast anything except for the cross of, cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's the imagery of the cross. He's once again bringing up that when we identify in Christ, it means we cut off the rest of the world. It's cut off from us, and the world cuts it off from us. Some drastic imagery, but I love how uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, uh, a preacher from the 1800s, put it like this. He wrote, in a sermon called Grand Glory, he, write, he wrote this. He says, what means he by this? Why, he means that ever since he fell in love with Jesus Christ, he lost all love for the world. It seemed to him to be a poor, crucified, dying thing, and he turned away from it just as you would from a criminal who might be hanging in chains. world on gallows hung up there. There, he said, that is what I think of you and all your pomp and all your power and all your wealth and all your fame. You are on the gallows, a malefactor, nailed up, crucified. I would not give a fig for you. And now observe the other cross. There is Paul on that. The world thinks as little of, as Paul, of Paul as Paul does the world. The world says, oh, the harebrained Paul. He was once sensible, but he has gone mad. And upon that stubborn notion about the crucified one, the man is a fool. So the world crucifies him. So be it with the world and the genuine Christian. That when we have a cross-centered life, the rest of the world is we consider crucified from us, cut off from us. We don't follow its ways. We're okay to march to the beat of the drum of the Spirit rather than to look towards a world for guidance. We're cut off from it. We consider it dead. We don't value it like, uh, we, like everyone else does that does not know Christ. And in the same way, we're okay with the world looking upon us and saying, aren't they weird? Aren't they a little odd to follow something else besides what we're doing? We're okay because we don't care that we are cut off from them because we cut them off and we don't look towards them for guidance because we boast in one thing and one thing only, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. That is who by the Spirit. I see this because I think this is connected to what came before about how we are supposed to walk by the Spirit, but I also see it because what's the first command that uh, uh, Paul is saying here? He says, 
he says this qualifier, you who are spiritual should listen to these commands and do these things at the beginning of chapter 6. And he's not just saying, hey, you guys who are a little bit more in touch with your feelingsness. No, he's not saying that. He's not using you are spiritual like we would use you are spiritual. Like, hey, you who have a sense of divine, no, or you who are just you know, more easy or fall into worship easier. No, he's using the spiritual saying, hey, you who are spiritual, which means you who have the spirit, which means, hey, you Christians, you who know the Christ, you are by definition spiritual because you are made new by the spirit. If you are in Christ, you are spiritual. He says, you who are spiritual, you who are Christ, should now follow these commands. That by following Christ, we, follow, we, we walk differently than the world because we look towards the Spirit. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, said it like this, God's children are swimming upstream and live contrary to the course of the world. They are living among men and live as men do, but moving in a different direction than the world and are carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God boils in Him to live contrary to this world. As Christians, we live contrary to living for Christ. It's interesting when he's talking about, when we look at this list at the beginning of chapter 6, about how we live in the Spirit, it's all these commands and how we relate to one another. And he's saying this is what it means to be spiritual, to live in community with one another, glorifying God with one another. I think it's interesting because so often when we start talking about the Holy Spirit or living and walking by the Holy Spirit, we immediately go to maybe gifts and saying, where, where are my spiritual gifts? And, and, and let's see those gifts manifested. And there's a good place for that and a good conversation for that. And it happens in community. But that's not what Paul focuses on here in this letter. So often when we talk about the Spirit, we start talking about signs and wonders and how the Spirit moves in those powerful ways, and that's true, and, and, and there's a place to talk about those, but that's not what Paul is talking about in this letter. What he talks about in this letter connected to the Holy Spirit is the body of Christ. That if you are spiritual, if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're driven deeper into the body of Christ. That to live by the Spirit is actually to live in the body of Christ, to live together with the community of God, to be there with one another, to be involved in the body, to be giving to the body and be taken from the body, to be actually the body and loving each other as, as a family of God and empowers us to ministry together all for the glory of God. And the Spirit uses that community of God to now reach people to fulfill the mission of God. To be spirit-led means to be in the body of Christ as we have been designed to be in that Christian community. And what does that Christian community look like? Well, he gives several examples and commands that I think illustrate how a cross-centered life is a spirit-led life. How this is to be lived out. It starts off about a spirit a uh, led life, a cross-centered life, is one that restores brothers and sisters. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. He says we should restore one another. That means when we see a brother or sister in sin, they're out of alignment with Christ. They're walking in a way that does not serve Him or glorify Him. They're living in sin in a way that's saying no to Christ and yes to themselves. We should gently restore them. 
That word that we restore is the same word used to mend a fractured bone or set the fractured bone, that we should view ourselves truly as spiritual doctors, one another back on course, gently loving each other to the glory of God. We restore one another. That we do that by looking towards the word and, and you know, I, I, this is going to be, I just, I, man, this is going to be cheesy. But maybe it's not. I struggle with this. We look towards the word, and I started thinking about, oh, a, a metaphor, right? Let's imagine we are on a road trip together, right? The word is the road map. It directs us on how to go. So when someone's uh, going away, we can use the word to guide them back up. Um, <clears throat> I had this, where is it? Oh, yeah. The spirit is the navigator telling us what path to go according to the word, directing us prompting us, navigating them as well. And so we're talking to the same person on how to direct us. And grace and forgiveness are the engine that we're driving in together. It's what was moving us forward. That's how we restore one another, according to the Word, led by the Spirit, empowered by grace and forgiveness. I thought of a car, so there you go. That's how we restore one another with love, with gentleness. But he gives this, this caution here. He says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. That when we're restoring sometimes when we enter into, into each other's lives and we love someone and we want them to do better, we want them to get back on track, we want them to crucify sin, get across life, we can come off and think we're better than them. And we can get some spiritual pride. So you watch yourself. Don't be prideful in this endeavor. He's going to address that a little bit later. But rather, you see them as brothers and sisters, and we can fall just like them, and we help correct them. And also, when you enter into someone's messy life, watch yourself, because you also could be tempted. You say, well, that looks fun. What's the harm? And we take our eyes off of Christ and look towards something else. So we watch ourselves as we, with gentleness, engage our brothers and sisters, hoping to restore them so that they can walk fully and wholly towards God. This is not becoming little righteous police, saying, oh, watch out there, oh, there, or gossiping about each other, or anything like that. No, this is the serious things that have derailed people's lives and leading them towards destruction. You step in and you love them and say, let's restore, be restored together to Christ. Is why? Because we glorify God when we live in that community, that this community is how we live out being led by the Spirit. So we, we restore each other, but also at the same time, this community emphasis, we love each other, if we're living each other, we're bearing each other's burdens, meaning that there's stuff in life that is a burden. It's heavy load. It's hard to bear on ourselves. It crushes us down, and the Christian community should come along a brother and sister that's experiencing that and help bear the load. Put an arm around their shoulders and say, lean on me. Put some of your weight on me. I got this for you that we love each other so much that we're willing to inconvenience ourselves to bear someone else's load. Oh, we got so much going on in our life, but we put that aside and say, I can help you bear this for this moment. We love each other to that extent, and we are led by a spirit to do that. We're interdependent. We are the body of Christ, and so we bear those burdens for each other. And when we do that, it fulfills the law of Christ. 
Think about all the good things we're commanded to do for one another. How is that fulfilled when we love someone enough to step in their life and say, let me bear it with you? Everything we're commanded is suddenly fulfilled when we walk in our led by the Spirit, living a cross-centered life, not valuing ourselves above other people, but willing to give ourselves for them. Sometimes pride hinders that though, right? That when we look at our brothers and sisters struggling, we say, well, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I got my own something. Um, he deceives himself. Basically, if you think you're too, too important to get in the muck of somebody's life that you know and help them, you have deceived yourself. That no one is above this command to help bear each other's burden. And then in verse 4, is this idea that we don't compare, that we don't look towards our neighbor and say, hey, I'm better than him, and so I can kind of you know, put myself up here and them down there and say, oh, I'm good. No, is that we don't look towards each other. We actually look at how well we're living our lives in the Christian community together, and that's how we judge ourselves. And if we're honest, we get to verse 5, and it says, for each one will have to bear his own load, and we'll say, wait a minute, what? Paul, you just said bear each other's burdens. Now each one will have to bear his own load? Well, it's because we're reading this in English, and when we look at that, there's actually different words here. And that when he's talking about bearing each other's burdens, he's talking using a word that means weight or a heavy load. When he's talking about uh, uh, bearing um, your own load, he's talking about a word that's usually used to denote like a man's day pack. Pretty easy to bear. And what he's doing, I think, is saying, hey, we're living in community the reality of burdens is there. When, you're bear, when you are under something that is crushing you, that's bearing down on you, and you don't know if you can do it anymore, tax the community of God by saying, ah, oh, I just have these normal, everyday things I have to do. Carry my stuff for me. Actually, we love each other enough to say, no, I got this. I can do it. But when you're in need, I'll be there for you. We love each other in the sense that we bear each other's burdens. For each other. I think the greatest example besides Jesus, let me put that caveat there, but if you are a fan of the movie adaptations of Lord of the Rings, the return of the king at, towards the end, Frodo and Sam going up Mount Doom, going to throw, cast that ring off, and they're at the end of their ropes. They can't do any more. They're worn out. They can't keep on going. Frodo is frayed. He's almost not even there anymore. And what does Sam Wise Gandhi say? Come, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. That's the Christian life. That we come alongside each other and say, with everything that's going on in your life, I can help carry you you. Let's live life together as we're called to live life together. And when we do that, we share in the mission together. As he says, let each one who's taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches, to be honest, that we share in each other. We, the one who teaches should be shared by the one who is being taught. 
But I don't think that's really what Paul is saying here. It's not about financial uh, benefit or anything, anything like that. What he's talking about is that we share in the mission together. That actually we say, hey, someone is helping teach us in the ways of the God. Someone is helping evangelize. Someone is spreading the gospel that we as a community support them so that the gospel expands. People hear about Christ. The church flourishes. The kingdom of God advances. We're in the mission together. Some, some people recognize, hey, I can't preach the word as well as someone else, but I can help support the preaching of the word. It's just like in, when we're thinking about missions, we, go, we say, hey, I can't, because of my station in life, where I am, maybe my job, I can't go to another country and preach the gospel for an extended period of time. But what I can do is support those who do go. And in that, we share together the mission of God to expand the church. And so he's saying, hey, let's expand the church, expand the, the kingdom of God as we share in this mission. Because a cross-centered life is a spirit led life, grounded on the gospel, empowered by the Spirit to follow as he has commanded us to do that. And then Paul says, personally, this looks like being led by the Spirit, being centered on the cross, a life of holiness. He's saying, if we're sowing things of the flesh, we'll reap things of the flesh. Adversely, if we're sowing things of the Spirit, we'll reap things of the Spirit. It's basically, we decide the tenor of life, which way are we going? There's an old adage, sow a, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a, a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It's this old adage, but it's true. What we sow, what we put in practice, how we live our life is going to set the tenor of our life. And it says, are you sowing things for Christ or are you sowing things for your flesh that you need to watch out about how this is? Because holiness is a harvest and whether we, we reap it depends on how what we're sowing. That if we're sowing personal holiness, if we're sowing following Christ, if we're sowing living by the Spirit, if we're sowing being defined by the cross, guess what we'll reap? It will reap a harvest of holiness. But if we occasionally and continually live in a way where we're sowing things of the flesh, living in a way that's counter to God's Word, living in a way that displeases ourselves, what we reap is not going to be holiness. The tenor of our life is going to be changed and we're going to be defined by the flesh. John Stott, um, a theologian, pastor, commentator, says it this way, Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain, linger in bad company with insidious influence, we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that's... Uh, that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And you can put it the other way. Every time that we gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, every time we read our Bible, every time we're praying, every time we're faithfully giving, every time we're serving others, every time we're seeking to apply what the Word has directed in our lives, every time we seek to put others before ourselves, every time we make much of Christ and less of ourselves, every time we preach the good Word to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, every time we seek to glorify God, we're sowing for the Spirit. And we're going to reap a harvest of holiness if we do so. And so he says, what are you sowing and what will you be reaping as a result? A cross-centered, spirit-led life sows habits of holiness that were centered on the cross, led by the Spirit, to be led in His ways. 
And it gets really practical. This, this habit of holiness is not just pious things that, that people might look at, but it's downright just good deeds as we love other people. We see this in verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. That we're called to do good. We serve others. And Christians, we have a wide focus and a narrow focus, I think directed by this verse. We have this wide focus that we're called to good, do good. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we see our neighbor you know, struggling with something, we help them. When we see people we know in our workplace that need help, we help them. We do good things with this wide focus when we see a need. But there's also this nearest focus, he says, especially to the household of God, especially to the household of faith, the community of Christ, that we look intently to our brothers and sisters and say, I'm there for you to help you and do good deeds for one another. Again, it's that community focus. This is what a cross-centered life, a spirit-led life looks like. We restore, we bear burdens, we share the mission, we pursue holiness, and we pursue goodness. Because a cross-centered life is a spirit-led life. How does this look in our own lives? Well, we have the list, but let's just take it more generally speaking of how this looks. These things can't happen outside of a community. So it has to happen for us to be in each other's lives to fulfill these commands. And so we need to be with Christians. We need to be with our brothers and sisters in ways in which we're living life together, in ways in which that we can be held accountable to live out our faith and we can hold others accountable to live out their faith. That's kind of the idea in the, at the core of this idea of there, we practice small groups, that we actually have groups of people that are in each other's lives to encourage one another. It's what happens when we gather together for discipleship groups. The Bible says this is this idea that we're in each other's lives for the purpose to encourage one another to point to Christ. So we need that kind of accountability, but also personally, we need to decide, I'm going to pursue the things of God. That I'm going to look at myself and say, I am actually truly going to live cross-centered, and I'm going to live led by the Spirit, and so I'm going to pursue the things of God. That we can look at our lives and say, what am I sowing? What habits am I reaping? What is, what is going on in life? What is the tenor of my life? Am I focused on myself, or am I focused on Christ? And so we actually look at us and say, hey, I'm going to pursue holiness. And this only works this is only empowered by the Spirit when we ground ourselves in the reality of the cross. When we say, this new, uh, I'm a new creation because of Him, and I stand in that light, and only then when I am grounded in the cross can I then be led by the Spirit to now pursue holiness and have accountability that actually works, and it's not just from our own efforts, but is empowered by God pushing us forward, growing us together, maturing us as His people that we're grounded in the cross and remember this is who I am. A cross-centered life led by the Spirit all for the glory of God. And I think there is no better way to remember who we are than to reflect on how Christ saves us. 
So we are going to celebrate the Lord's communion here at the end of the service. Um, this is open to all believers, people who believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, have professed him as your Lord and Savior, this is open to you. But the uh, Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you want to call it, we remember how we are saved. We remember how we are made new. We remember our hope. That's not in what we have done. It's not how well have we achieved, but it's in Christ saving us, his sacrifice. Often when we talk about uh, communion or the Lord's Supper, uh, inward as we confess our sins and we look at our, at our faith that truly connects us to Christ, that we can look forward. Now this is, this is point forward, that we do this to preach Christ crucified until he comes again. And so we look forward. We can look backwards as we remember the event that is taking place that we're celebrating, that Christ died on the cross for us. We look backwards. And now we can look side to side. And I think that we can emphasize that one this morning as we're reflecting upon the community of faith that we look to left and right and see brothers and sisters united by a common faith, a family of God. And ultimately we look up, remembering Christ. Look up knowing it's Him, our Father who saved us by His grace, by sending His Son to die in our place. So we're going to take a moment of reflection. And when you're ready, you can come up and, and take a cup and grab a piece of bread from the plate and return to your seats. And then uh, when everyone has done that and a, a, time, a little time has passed, we'll take the elements together. So I invite the band back up to uh, uh, play some music as we reflect, as we celebrate, as we remember the sacrifice of Christ.